Hi, everyone. Welcome to Fastnet Biotech and Health Extension Seminar Series. I am so delighted for today's conversation. And we have not only a really wonderful presentation from three really wonderful presenters, and none of whom are like newer to Fastnet, I think, at this point, but also a really, really, really exciting announcement. And we have an incredibly packed house right now. Many of many folks of you have applied to actually join this meeting. So that means that you're not usually in our group. If that's you, welcome. We have really exciting news for you guys. And yeah, without further ado, I would love to hand it over to Vadim and to Vittorio to have start a presentation. I'll be in the chat. I'll be monitoring your question. And I hope we get to as many of them as possible because I am sure that you have some feedback and questions. All right. Thank you so much for the invitation and Mike for joining. It's an absolute delight to have you here. Yeah. Thank you, Alison, very much. I'll be the first one to present and thank you for the kind invitation. Do you see my screen? Looks better. Okay. So, so our presentation today is actually on the initiative on biomarkers of aging for identification of and creation of longevity interventions through the, this consortium that we formed, biomarkers of aging consortium. So these days, I, this is the question that I most often get, just which, bio, which aging biomarker to use? Because everybody would like to use the biomarkers to quantify aging, other features of aging, and there is a, a lot of disarray in the field. And so, of course, some people would like to use it for clinical trials, basic research, analysis of biobanks or genetic screen or interventions uh, that slow down the aging process or originate. And it's unclear, actually, which biomarker would be the best to use. Just a little bit of the history. This question has been thought for, thought through for, for a long time. So, for example, you can see that the, in 1969 already there was a series of, to, to quantify aging described and NIA had the first conference on biomarkers initiative in 1981. And then in, in, in green, all kinds of different developments in the omic space recently. For example, you can see here this famous Steve Corvus paper on, on the plant tissue clock and, and many other kind of features. But actually, we are still unclear, still unclear for us which biomarker is, is the best to use. And one kind of eye-opening for me was at the conference that, that we organized last year called Systems Aging Gordon Research Conference, <clears throat> where we give a survey to the participants or aging survey, asking questions like, what is aging? What causes aging? What is rejuvenation? Or things like, when does aging begin? Is aging a disease? What is the most important unanswered question in the field? And so on. There are many questions like this. And we received 106 responses from the experts in the field. And it's very clear that the term aging is used for different things by, by different people. They just view aging in a different way. Some people think of aging as mortality rate, as HLA changes, decreased fitness, or functional decline, continuation of development, increased biological age, damage accumulation, and other features. So, and of course, although they are related to one another, if we are to develop biomarker, it would be different biomarkers because we would quantify different things. You see? So which one is actually should be used? If we, for example, would like to test an intervention that reduces the biological age, reverses, reverses aging, or slows it down, or, for example, testing intervention. And so I think there are multiple issues in the field. And I think this is my most important slide, so I will spend a little bit of time on it. So th there are 10 issues that I see as important. So first, uh, which omics method we use? Is it epigenetic, transcriptomic, predomic, multiomic, or anything else? Uh, also, should we combine omics with like phenotype, phenotypic measurements? For example, frailty, cell composition, morphology, systemic changes. Which one is better? Number one or number two? Three, how do we train? 
the clocks train for damage, for example, accumulation or um, functional loss or diseases or future mortality or simply rate of change because that's also different manifestations of aging. The next challenge is how we kind of relate aging at the single cell level, at the tissue level, at organismal level. If, for example, one tissue ages more rapidly, how does this reflect aging of the entire organism? The next challenge is aging versus adaptation, because aging is applies to biological systems. So, so system adapts to, for example, to the accumulation of damage, responds in various ways, and this becomes a part of the clocks as well. It's not aging per se, but it still becomes part of the biomarker, which, for example, works only in one direction, from the direction from young to old. And another challenge is aging versus development, because apparently many clocks, they tick already during development. So it appears that aging goes in parallel to development and developmental signals become part of the aging clock as well. The next challenge is kind of stochastic with regulatory changes, because we deal with the biological systems, which are regulated in various ways. But at the same time, some of the damage accumulates in a stochastic way, and they all end up in the clocks as well. The next difference is mechanistic differences. For example, some of the differences, like when we track changes which are in the in the direction of decreasing versus increasing, and I, I think Vittorio will, will mention about this a little bit in the in the some of the clocks that that have been developed. And another challenge is aging versus rejuvenation. So when we deal with the organism that transitions from the young state to the old state, it's not necessarily the same state, the same situation when we transition from the old to young. And, and therefore, some of the clocks that might work in the one direction would not work in the other direction. And finally, the cost, because the, the omics that's unfortunately still expensive. And therefore, if you would like to run uh, biomarkers in large clinical trials, so for example, biobanks, it just becomes very expensive and there is a, a need for really a very significant cost reduction. So all of these challenges are very serious and they just need to be clearly addressed. And, and it's not a question for one lab or even for a few labs. So it, it requires the effort of the entire community. So in the end, what we have, we have a biomarker revolution on one hand. We have the ability to quantify various attack of aging. It's really remarkable how much the field progressed. We can be beginning to test longevity interventions. There are really opportunities for major advances in the field. Yet, we have many challenges because many, many questions, are really, really key important questions remain in the field. And this results in also criticism. There are Clearly, there are many kind of anti-aging clock community as well that they're simply skeptical of the use of the biomarkers. So to begin address this challenge, we are releasing actually a tool called ClockBase. This was developed by a graduate student in my lab, Albert Ian. And this allows to, it's basically an online platform that helps explore and analyze biological age across the geo database. And there are a large number of geo samples and various experimental conditions. And people just submit entries to, to the database. What we did, we applied the clocks and made visualization system so that it allows to interrogate. And we, we are releasing this in the coming days so that the community could, could go away and explore whatever somebody has done experiment. We, we assign a biological age to that experiment. And I'm sure through this, many genetic manipulations and, and interventions can be discovered. We're releasing this even before publication. But most importantly, we under consortium called Biomarkers of Aging Consortium. And this is a, a very significant effort. So there are about 25 labs join, join this. And you can see there are many, many senior people here. For example, Luigi Ferrucci, he's a scientific director of NIAO, Steve Horvath, and many other senior people, leaders in the field. So we're very happy about it. This consortium formed the scientific committee. 
that's me. Also, Mike Snyder, who's a chair of genetics at Stanford. Vittorio, who will present after me, he's also at Stanford. Andrea Meyer from National University of Singapore, also a leader in the field. And Eric Werding, who's the president of and CEO of the Buck Institute on Aging. So we also have an executive committee. And here is the Madi, who will also present today. I should say that Madi conceived the idea of the consortium and is the force behind this initiative. Jesse Paganik, he is an outstanding researcher here at Harvard. Alison, she is the president of and Foresight Institute, as we know, whatever Alison does, she's the best. And, and Dane, who is also equally a strong force behind this initiative. So we're very happy to announce this consortium. And now I would like to transfer to the next speaker. So Vittorio. But you. Yeah, well, thank you. Thank you, Vadim. And thanks, Alison, for, for hosting us. It's really a great pleasure to be here today. And I, I can really see that there is a huge number of participants. So it's, this is really exciting. So yeah, I want to, I want to piggyback uh, and kind of build on what Tim has just shown and uh, really highlighting the importance of these efforts, the efforts of the, the, the consortium to really start developing tools that allow us to understand the aging process, but also the rejuvenative or anti-aging or healthy longevity interventions that many people worldwide are, are developing. So I want this to be more of a, an opportunity to raise questions more than giving answers. And because I think that really we as a community need to really think together about this problem. So I want to first start by one simple fact, which is the realization that despite aging has obviously commonalities, the process of aging has commonalities across individuals of a, of a given species. We can tell fairly easily if people are in their 20s, in their 40s, in their 60s, or in their 90s. But at the same time, there is a huge degree of variability and heterogeneity in the way we age. And this heterogeneity is at different levels. So the first one is obviously at individual levels and is affected by intrinsic factors, for example, the gender, the ethnicity, or the genetic makeup of each, each one of us. And the genetics means a couple of things. For example, we, we can carry some protective factors that are anti-aging in a way, or we can carry risk factors that allow us to age more more rapidly than, than other people. But it's also important to consider, I think, for the sake of the discussion, the fact that unlike many, many animal models that are genetically uh, identical in a way, that, I mean, the human population is characterized by a huge variety, of course, at the genetic level. And I think that this is really important when we start thinking about interventions, because like many other interventions, we really must start to think about personalized, in a way, anti-aging interventions. And of course, on top of this, there are many other factors that explain heterogeneity at the individual level. So for example, there is social factors, life, environmental factors, cultural factors, for example, education or access to, to, to medical interventions and, and so on. On top of this, there is also another degree of heterogeneity, which is across tissues. So if you take any individual in the human species, we realize, and, and we, we know now this through, through different, different ways, we know that different tissues in the same body at different age at a different pace. And so this also contributes to the degree, to the high degree of heterogeneity that's, that we, that, that, that we experience or that we see. And on top of that, there is also heterogeneity at the cellular level. And so you're, I'm pretty sure you're familiar with this, with this picture, because different cells, even in the same tissue, 
can can age in different way because they experience or they go through different mechanisms of aging, which are summarized here by the infamous hallmarks uh, of aging. Some of, some cells may enter senescence. Some cells may may have dysfunctionality at the mitochondrial level. Some may experience exhaustion, the stem cells, for example, and so on and so forth. So why am I saying this? Because I think it's really important now to consider this heterogeneity and also to see how it intersects with a variety of different anti-aging interventions that many labs in the world, many companies in the world are trying to, to develop and implement. So we really need to be agnostic about the fact that each one of these interventions, and here I'm just highlighting a few, each one can have a different impact on different people. And we need to develop, again, as a community, a standardized way to measure the impacts of these interventions in, in, different, in different people. <clears throat> because each one of these has, obviously, a different mechanism of action. And so we really need to start thinking about how to measure these impacts through gene expression. Just to piggyback what, what Vadim just said, we will be looking at gene expression, at physiology, methylation clocks, other marks, function, regenerative capacity. And probably we don't, we don't have just to look at one of these, but we have to look at how they intersect and how holistically and comprehensively these different biomarkers can, can measure uh, and can predict in a way when, and can really tell us about what's going on during the aging process and what's going on during the intervention. And so the second question related to this is like, are the tools that we have enough and sufficient to, to, to tackle this important question? Well, obviously, the reason why we are putting together uh, the consortium is that we think that the, the, the tools that we have currently are not sufficient, are not enough. And we really need to start thinking as a community about this. And let me just make a very quick example about what I, what I'm, what I just said that comes from the work that we are doing in my, in my lab. So three years ago, we published a paper. I'm not going to annoy you with the, the details, but you know, you can find them in the, in the paper in nature communication. But we, sh we have shown that we can clearly express a handful of transcription factors in human cells, aged human cells, and we can reverse the age of those cells so that the cells now are youthful and more functional. Obviously, we looked at a variety of different hallmarks or a variety of different biomarkers, and one of which was the methylation clock that was developed by, by Steve Rath. And the first thing that we, we noticed or realized with, with Steve was that different methylation clocks were giving slightly different outcomes when it comes to measuring the effects of the of these uh, these uh, partial reprogramming or transient reprogramming on on the cells so when madi which will be talking shortly start digging into this data he realized that both in fibroblasts and in endothelial cells for which we saw a rejuvenation in terms of methylation clock there was basically one single cytosine that was explaining most of the rejuvenative effects that we were seeing in the cells. And this was really stunning to us for two reasons. Well, first of all, because it was the same exact cytosine, which is pretty remarkable, suggesting that the methylation clocks have still uh, an enormous predictive capacity, potentially even in the rejuvenation or even in the interventions that need to be kind of understood better. 
The second thing is that I was expecting personally a much broader effect of the of the factors that we were expressing in the cells that could not really be simply explained by one single cytosine out of billions of of of, of, of size of, of base pairs in the in the genome. And that's a, that that's exactly what what happens. We did see a huge number of other cytosines changing with the treatments. But the problem is that the clock was not able to capture those changes because, of course, you know, by its own nature, the clock is built on a subset of cytosines that can capture a specific phenomenon, which in this case is aging and not rejuvenation. Not only that, we also knew, understood that there is a logic or there seems to be a logic that, again, we are far from understanding that could potentially explain why transient reprogramming is so dramatically effective in, and the same is true, of course, for, for other, for other treatments too, is so dramatically effective in reversing the, the aging of the, of the cells. And we could, we are starting to, to, to learn and understand that there is uh, a logic because there is a preferential binding or a preferential kind of enrichment for specific transcription factors in the demethylated regions of the genome post, uh, post-treatment. So this is just one example to say that, yes, the tools that we have are very useful, but they're still imperfect and they're still far from being adequate to really try to explain and tackle the problem that we're trying to, to explain. And so that's the reason why I'm very excited about the, the efforts of the consortium because, and this is kind of a, a weird analogy of what I'm trying to say, not only because I think the consortium is going to really help us as a community to develop the framework of dots or of biomarkers that we need to start looking at, but also because the consortium, oops, there should be an anim- the consortium is going to also help us connect those dots and connect them in a very uh, way. Start to, to start to understand basically from the biological standpoint what aging means and how the different rejuvenative or healthy longevity intervention impacts, could impact the life of, of, of millions of people. And so with that, I also want to thank the scientific committee, Vadim, Mike, Andrea, and Eric. This is the inaugural board, <laughs> the scientific board of the, of the, the consortium. And obviously, the heavy lifters of the, the whole initiative, in particular, Madi, who's really the head behind all of this, Jesse, Allison, and Dane, uh, because they are really the heavy lifter and they're, they're doing a, an incredible amount of work to, 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 to make this happen. And now I pass it over to Madi. Hello, everyone, and thank you, Allison, for inviting me to talk about our collaborative work on biomarkers of aging for longevity intervention. It's been more than 50 years since the urgent need for reliable biomarkers of aging was recognized in the field. And these reliable biomarkers are still considered perhaps the greatest unmet need for longevity interventions. But now, well, we believe that we have all the needed expertise to address this together. Biomarkers are increasingly becoming popular, especially for diseases. For example, the FDA NIH sponsored biomarkers consortium recently announced uh, their new screening biomarkers for Alzheimer's and their approved qualification plan for surrogate endpoints for osteoporosis. But biomarkers are also used for other medical applications. For example, your routine blood work is a biomarker of health. 
and there are now reliable biomarkers for exposure to tobacco or effective response to COVID vaccines. For biomarkers of aging, the groundwork was made mostly by epidemiologists using population studies. For example, epigenetic biomarkers or clocks have been developed and tested for their correlation with aging outcomes. Now we are developing and using advanced biomarkers in our labs for basic research to better understand cellular aging and rejuvenation. At the same time, our translational colleagues have been have started to use these biomarkers in preclinical and clinical studies because they have the potential to become powerful tools in clinical trials. But these biomarkers are not yet optimized for the use in clinical studies as many open challenges still need to be addressed, including the ones that Vadim and Vittorio mentioned. The good news is that groups working on other biomarkers have already developed frameworks to test and validate their biomarkers. For example, the FDA-NIH Biomarker Qualification Program offers extensive guidelines for testing biomarkers toward qualifying them for clinical studies. An essential step in validating any biomarker is to have a scientific consensus on the role of the biomarker in the context of use. To begin with, a level of consensus on terminologies and concepts is needed so that we can start developing frameworks and procedures for this validation process. After seeing the lack of consensus in our GRC survey, we invited a large panel of experts on biomarkers of aging from our peer initiatives, consortiums, societies, and institutes, including the NIA, the Buck Institute, the Longevity Consortium, the HLMS, and the longevity trials such as Calorie and Tame, as well as research labs and groups developing or testing biomarkers of aging. The invited experts are from very diverse backgrounds, ranging from basic research to translational and clinical studies to those with experience working with regulatory agencies. Many of them have been also invited to present here at the foresight. This panel of 27 experts so far might be the most diverse and qualified panel on biomarkers of aging ever put together. We use the DELTI-based method to build consensus on working definitions and frameworks, and we started with a first draft based on literature, and iteratively improved it based on notions from the invited experts. Our panel leveraged our surveys and the literature to propose working definitions for aging and biological aging. After many rounds of iteration within the panel, the working definition of aging in the context of interventions converged on the broad consequences of aging, such as uh, functional decline. The conceptual definition of biological aging, on the other hand, converged on the biological causes of aging, such as cellular damage. Before testing or validating a biomarker of aging, it's important to define its context of use. Currently, most proposed biomarkers of aging are either predictive or response biomarkers. Predictive biomarker predicts aging outcomes such as diseases of aging or death. A response biomarker is an indicator of an official or harmful response to an intervention. A surrogate endpoint should satisfy both of these conditions. As predictive biomarkers are becoming more informative of aging outcomes, they are being licensed by various types of companies such as life insurance companies. 
I was surprised to learn more about, to learn the extent of this, talking to all the companies who wanted to license our own biomarkers. Biomarkers, on the other hand, are of great interest in clinical trials. A large number of clinical trials have started to leverage biomarkers of aging, in particular epigenetic clocks in their study design or in postdoc analysis, even though there's still no consensus regarding their value. While some of the proposed biomarkers are both predictive, predictive of aging outcomes and responsive to interventions, we still don't have validated surrogate endpoints for interventions as discussed elsewhere by clinical experts on our panel. One of the main shortcomings of the existing biomarkers is that the biological effect of the intervention, the change in the biomarker, and the change in the health outcome are not causally linked. Besides building consensus around the terminologies and characterizing biomarkers of aging, a major part of our work, our first collaborative work, is on criteria for evaluation of biomarkers. Some of the main open challenges that Victoria mentioned are discussed in our work, including the prediction of age versus aging outcomes, biomarkers of aging versus biomarkers of rate of aging, cellular hallmarks of aging and causal biomarkers of aging, and the relation between biomarkers and protectors. For example, we propose a framework where biomarkers of aging and protectors support the development of each other. Biomarkers can be used to evaluate protectors, and validated protectors can be used to benchmark these biomarkers. Finally, our clinical experts also present their considerations for analytical and clinical validations of biomarkers of aging. For example, we need a standardized practical step. We need to standardize a practical step such as sample collection and processing. We need to optimize performance measure such as precision and accuracy. And we need to work out a specific validation procedures based on, based on the context of use. I also want to point out that while not everything presented is universally agreed upon by our panel, we carefully reviewed all the viewpoints and made sure that major differing views were fairly represented. One of the goals of this consortium is to provide an ongoing forum to openly discuss the big challenges in the field for which there is not yet broad consensus. Our first collaborative work showed us that we can successfully work together to develop frameworks and guidelines for evaluating biomarkers of aging. With the help of this panel and additional experts, we are now ready to work on other conceptual and practical challenges of validating these biomarkers. We will also host a symposium at the Buck Institute on December 4th, chaired by our 2023 uh, Scientific Committee. There are many ways that you can get enrolled and help on this mission. Please get in touch through our website if you are developing or testing biomarkers or if you want to fund our projects or volunteer. And I would be happy to answer any questions you may have about our collaborative work if you have time. Wonderful. Thank you so, so much. This was absolutely fantastic. I think we are going to kick us off with Mir Basilai. And maybe you can take the screen so we can see each other. We we are 105 people. That's really terrific. And it shows how exciting the field is. So I, I want to make just really an optimistic comment because you can see how daunting this is. 
and and I I actually I actually want to want to say first to Madi and everybody else, but Madi, this is amazing what you've done. It's nice to be young, and I know you talked with me, and I know how much how many hours you spend, and this is terrific. And I I I, I hope also that it concludes in my lifetime, not only in your lifetime, but but thank you very much. But this is really the comment I want to make when we started the field of aging something really great happened to us. We kind of understand animals that live longer. We, that's how we got to IGF, we got to mTOR, we got to caloric restriction. And it's not that we learned everything that we needed to do about aging, but we had good leads for that. And I think that's what's happened, what's going to happen in the biomarkers field. And in AFAR, we're leading this effort that's called FAST, we're going to clinical trials on gerotherapeutics, whether it was lifestyle intervention or metformin or SGLT2, GLP1. And we're going to get the plasma and blood of people before and within a year of a treatment to start seeing if by when we do omics, and we do a lot of omics, and there's a committee that many of you are in this committee, if we're actually going to, to get a head start not knowing everything about the prediction, but at least knowing if if the thing that we're using are going to have some substantial biomarkers that will help the field. And that could be rather faster or sooner than later. So so congratulations, but this this can be done and can be done, progress can be done and be done rapidly. So thank you, everyone. Thanks for your always encouraging words. And yeah, that's uh, very kind. And next one up, we have Carl. Exciting to see so much organization. Fun that three out of five people on the scientific committee were all crossing their arms. I don't know if that's something correlated with biomarkers. So let's talk about, so the endpoint we want to get to here is surrogate endpoints, right? We want these biomarkers to be useful as surrogate endpoints so we don't have to do trials where we wait decades to see how they come out in long-lived species. That's great. I understand that we're not there yet, partially because the various biomarkers we have, as it was just pointed out, haven't been, all the causal chains haven't been tied in a way that the FDA and everybody can believe that the, that the biomarker is in a, in a causal chain. Okay, that's fine. So we're not quite there yet. So I want to talk about an intermediate point, right? The, in all clinical trials, we try to balance the treatment and the control groups. We randomize, but then we test the randomization on various risk factors. And, and a common thing to do when you look at a clinical trial report is to look at, like, for example, the age of the participants on average in the control group versus the treatment group. If you see a big difference, then you start to question whether that difference affected the, the outcome you see and the effect size you see. And that's because the, the age is a, such a big risk factor for um, a lot of things, right? So, but that's chronological. So it was mentioned that some biomarkers are predictive, right? So predictive biomarkers are maybe arguably coming to or already at the point where they are better predictors of risk than chronological age. So as a use case, before we get to actual surrogate endpoints for the trial, is anybody working toward getting clinical trial usage of aging biomarkers or clocks as 
an important thing to look at in terms of whether the treatment and control groups are balanced and and maybe in terms of which patients individually were responded. That seems like a way in for moving this forward and actually maybe just an improvement all we have now in terms of looking at and levels of the different groups. I guess not. So I well, maybe somebody should think about that. Okay. Yeah, I can tell from our experience looking at all the clinical trials on the clinicaltrial.gov um, that relates to either biological aging or using known biomarkers of aging. We didn't find any that are designed in a way that you mentioned, but I think that's a good idea. We should look into it. I think it's a scientific question, and maybe this is mostly scientists, right? So maybe the scientific community should start by answering the question, do we have a, a measure that's better than chronological age that could be used in this way? For example, is PC Grim age already better at estimating the risk for a bunch of different chronic diseases that we currently use chronological age when stratifying the, the different treatment control, et cetera, groups? Yeah, I actually agree with Carl. So there are certainly there are biomarkers which are already better than chronological age. The question is like we still don't know which biomarker that needs to be used. What is the best biomarker and what exactly we need to quantify? And especially this is true for interventions, which is like the main the main interest of the community. It's completely unclear which which one to use in in, in for example in clinical trials. Well, of course, in basic research that that's another very big issue. So we are mostly on the basic side. Yeah, just exciting time, but many unanswered questions as I try to... Wonderful. Next one, we have a question from Alia. I'll read our question, Alia. Sorry. Okay. Sorry. I, I was wondering if there is a substantial need or anyone studying or factoring in different sets of enzymes that methylate different processes. So histone methylation versus activation. Is there a sufficient amount of source space within these different parts and functions that we are studying? Or is there an ability to factor in or create new enzymes um, for writing epigenetic marks? So, Alia, could you maybe repeat your question? Are you asking about uh, if enzymes have been used as interventions? Yes. Has anyone first like studied different sets of enzymes and then differentiating classes of these proteins for different processes of methylation, i.e. histone methylation? And the second follow-up is, is there a substantial need to explore these kinds of enzymes for writing of genetic marks? Do you think that could be used as a form of treatment? Yeah, so in the, in the context of biomarkers and the clinical trials relating interventions to biomarkers, I still didn't see anything in the in, in related to enzymes and how they interact with epigenetic biomarkers. And uh, yeah, so the, the work that we did so far mostly focuses on on the application of biomarkers in, in longevity interventions, not the longevity intervention that themselves. There are, there are many, many different types of interventions that are not directly looking into biomarkers yet. So I'm, I'm sure there are some, some interventions working on enzymes uh, modifying the epigenetic, epigenetic, uh, epigenetics of uh, cellular epigenetics. But yeah, I didn't see them in this work. Yeah, also, a lot, a lot of basic research on kind of using these enzymes and manipulating them and seeing how this affects genetic state and, and biomarkers in general. I think it's a lot of ongoing research in this space. 
Yeah, and to follow up, obviously, most of these studies have been done, but not for the specific kind of question of aging or rejuvenation, but more broadly to understand their role in changing epigenetic traits in the in the cells. So I think that soon we're going to start actually seeing those those studies. And to even extend to what you said, I think that in addition to the naturally occurring enzymes that could potentially be used as biomarkers or therapeutics, I think that we we, we are going to see in the future potential applications, for example, using the activated CAS coupled with epigenetic modifying activities or, or, or activators that could potentially even be used as as a as drugs to to for 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 aging interventions again. So I think there's there's lots there is a, a lot of exciting work that I, it will be coming in the in the next few years. <clears throat> Thank you. Thank you. Wonderful. We have a few more questions from the chat and a raised hand already. Just a reminder for folks that there's still some time to ask questions. And uh, I do reserve some time at the end to ask a few questions on like how to further collaborate with consumption. But there's still a game to ask questions. So please, please do so if you have anything that you'd like to contribute or want to be known. Okay, wonderful. We have Liz next. Yeah. Hi. I was wondering what you're doing for individual validation per person. I think that this has been an issue in the on the the lack of broad use of aging biomarkers, whether they be from old tests that have been around for a very long time or, or the newer ones. And I, w- I was reminded how a Matt Camberlin recently posted on Twitter about doing three different tests off the same sample and getting a completely different biological age in his DNA methylation, which has been a concern in the area. So what are you doing to validate these tests? Maybe I can begin answering and Maja Vittorio can continue. So so in my opinion is that the biomarkers, they are not yet ready for, I agree with Matt in that sense, the, like consumer use is just not, not good for individual use. I mean, we work at population level and clinical trials, okay, to test interventions and so on, but it's just the accuracy for individual use at, at, at the time. Yeah, that that was why we pulled the timekeeper because we started to become concerned in variation in data and actually running multiple samples for a small company like ours. The timekeeper was DNA methylation. It ran six clocks in the back of it. And but the validation per person, I mean, running each epic array was at that time $320 and it had come down from 360 per sample, just one part of the kit. So it was too expensive for us to do multiple testings on each sample. And so having that all de-risked would be fantastic for a market as, as a whole. Cost is a major issue, I agree. So we, we need to develop biomarkers via the community, of course, to, to really drop the cost. And just to add uh, to what Vadim mentioned, we, we also invited Matt for, for his expertise in, in, in that regard, and he actually contributed to our work, and he had a very insightful contribution to, to that part. But overall, I would say we don't have a consensus on on the direct to consumer biomarkers of aging or personal biomarkers of aging yet. Wonderful. Thank you so, so much. And next up, you have Jordan with a question. Hi, Hi. I was wondering if there's been a good comparison of epigenetic clock biomarkers with more traditional, more physical 
tests like six minutes, speed walking, blood pressure, and uh, things like that. Is there a good comparison of how accurate they are in predicting future health span and future lifespan? Thank you, Jock. So we came across few articles comparing different biomarkers. And I remember one of them was comparing different omics biomarker. And I believe one of them is more broad. They have blood biochemistry biomarkers too. But if you send me a message, I'll be happy to, to send you that paper. Wonderful. Now we have Jordan. Uh, thanks. Uh, I was wondering about whether you had an interest or initiative in looking at more non-traditional consumer type data. That data seems to be much more accessible and cheaper and maybe may facilitate more of the predictive realm. Obviously, it's typically not druggable if you're thinking about image analysis or behavioral analysis, purchase history, et cetera. But they can sometimes be very predictive of, kind of overall health and have been shown to kind of predict mortality in a lot of different ways. Thanks, Jordan. So for, for this work, we try to focus more on getting closer to surrogate endpoints. So I, I remember I mentioned about the predictive markers and response markers and predictive and surrogate endpoints. Since we are trying to focus on interventions, we also focus more on response and surrogate endpoints and less on other applications of biomarker. But of course, there are the broader applications for biomarkers of aging. But so far, we've been focusing more on the response and how to get to the clinical validation in the context of clinical setting. All right. Thank you. Again, really enjoyed the presentation. Thank you. Wonderful. We have Larry next. Hi, Allison. But yeah, I don't know if you called on me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's a great effort. I mean, there really isn't any good sites or comprehensive databases of clinical biomarkers in general, let alone for aging. And uh, a lot of them, like clinicaltrials.gov and a lot of the, the clinical trial databases, it's very difficult to even find out what biomarkers are being used in the interventions and or in the inclusion and in, in, in criteria. I know even for some cancer protocols, some seem to age patients a lot more than others. And if there was a good a good indication of that th these are a battery of biomarkers, so it could almost be sold as a safety biomarker to to decide which protocol is the least aging of of of, of the different in interventions. And so I so I think it, it it is a great effort, and look forward to trying to help out a little bit on it, Allison and and Dane and and Madi. I, I think it is it is a really good effort. Yeah, cool, awesome. We have next after. Yes, hi. Yeah, nice to meet you all. My question is based on the progress that was made on the biomarkers for human. Can we go back and do something useful? regarding selective, selecting proper animal models, because there has been a lot of research that has been done on animals that are actually not good surrogates for human aging. And I wonder whether the consortium can contribute to actually selecting the right models so that we can do our research with more value and get closer to the clinic. So a member of our consortium is actually Steve Corbett, and he, I, I don't know if people know, but he actually profiled almost 400 species of mammals as a function of age, huge effort. 
And there are several manuscripts currently in progress. Species clocks have been developed as well as clocks for individual species. So this really should stimulate progress in the field. And many here in, in the audience contributed as well, like my lab contributed, I see Vera Berbonova contributed, and several other labs in, in this space. Uh, developing biomarkers of aging for various species and trying to understand exactly how do they age. Obviously, there is no perfect model for human aging, but various models can be used to address various aspects of human aging. So you just need to choose the, the model for the right. Yeah, and I, I totally second that. Sir. And in addition to that, I think... Can you hear me? Yeah. In addition to that, I think that we, we are really also at the point, at an inflection point when it comes to developing suitable human models to study aging. Just think about the, the organoids. The, the problem still is that we still don't quite understand how to age cells in culture that are derived, from them, for example, from embryonic cells. For some reason, cells that are differentiated from embryonic cells retain a very youthful phenotype, even if they are fully differentiated to, to any somatic cell type. So that's fascinating, in my opinion, because it really means that there is a lot of biology that we're still far from understanding. But once we crack that, once we understand that, we could potentially even develop human models of aging organs in a dish. And then again, that coupled with the, the, the opportunity to then develop those models in, a, in an individual-specific fashion, thanks to the IPS, for example, we can really start developing personalized solutions for, for, for your longevity interventions. So again, we're not quite there yet, <laughs> quite there yet but there is, there is a lot of exciting work coming, coming up. <clears throat> Wonderful. Next one up, we have, we have so many questions now. Let's see if we can do a rapid fire. We have Ali. Hello, thanks for it. Uh, this. This is amazing. And my question is, should we prioritize finding biomarkers for cellular aging or organismal aging? I'm asking this because I wonder if, like, I wonder which is more clinically significant and, or even better, can we find biomarkers that can meaningfully connect both? But you might be a good person to uh, answer actually, that yeah, because I, you always have this discussion in the lab. <laughs> I I heard organismal aging, but I I couldn't understand what was the organismal cellular or organ like a cell. Yeah. yeah, of course we do this a lot, trying to understand how exactly aging happens at the individual cell level and how exactly it relates to organismal aging. Currently, there are several projects also on, on, on tissues. For example, if you have an organism like old organism and, and the one tissue is young. Uh, like like the liver, for example, or heart. What's the age of that organism? How they influence each other? Like the organism influences aging of the tissue, and tissue influences aging of the organism. Uh, as I tried to highlight, uh, there is no answer to that question. It's just this question is not resolved yet. There are not not enough studies. These are important directions for future studies. Wonderful, Lawrence. You said I hope. Uh, yeah. So first question is: What does the consortium need most? Are you looking to expand, have higher diversity with people looking at lichens as well, people looking at various other things? And then also, if you've seen a good plan, longitudinal clinical trial with an interventional arm to really link that causality or what's, what's the best plan you've seen for, for finding the causality? Yeah, so on the, on the goal of the consortium, the ultimate goal is to establish reliable biomarkers of aging for interventions. And the way we are 
envisioning this is to start with a core of scientific and we are trying to be as diverse as possible. So we are inviting other experts with clinical expertise, with basic research expertise, and try to understand since aging is a system phenomenon, we are also trying to understand it from all the different viewpoints and together try to build some level of consensus so we can start move on to the next step on the frameworks and then on actual validation. So the next step, the next major step for us is to start validation projects on these, again, new biomarkers and compare them, benchmark them, similar to biomarkers in other fields as they have this qualification program that they need to go through. We're also starting to think about that. And uh, yeah, we are, all, we are open to include uh, people, experts in biomarkers and from other fields, from within the field, with other views, with clinical expertise. And on the longitudinal work, uh, the one that I can think of right away is the great work of Dr. Snyder and the IPOP cohort, which is an IH is a longitudinal study of multiomics and study of aging. So that might be a good place to start. I'm sure that's another one. Wonderful. Oh, also like yeah, we only have two more minutes left, and I want to make sure that we actually get connect a few potential action items so that if folks watch this now and get really excited to continue it, they like have a very clear way according to how they can best and like get involved and benefit the consortium if possible. So I would love to hear your kind of like five-year vision of this to the extent that there is one. And I would also really, really love to hear how individual people from, let's say, different backgrounds can get involved and, and really help this uh, consortium flourish. Because just judging from this seminar, it was one of our most attended seminars ever. So I'm assuming there's a ton of interest to collaborate. And so I think making it crystal clear at the end of this, how people can help this consortium along will be really good. I can tell you some of our plans. So on the theoretical part and conceptual part, we formed this panel and we plan to continually work together on putting forward the roadmaps for translating biomarkers to our clinical settings. And we actually call it the Roadmap work group. and still it's forming. Right now we have 27 experts on the panel, but we are still expanding. And then on the, um, on the educational side, on the community outreach, on the promotion of the work, we are planning yearly symposium. It's starting from this December. And all the members of our committees have agreed to work together on this symposium, which is going to be hosted at, uh, at the BOC. And we plan to have that uh, yearly symposium to bring all these experts together and have in-person discussion. And these are, these are the plans that we have, we have in place. And at the same time, we are also raising fundings for the actual validation project, which, which needs multiple groups to work together to test biomarkers, to benchmark them, to compare them. And, uh, that, that we are raising funding for that. And the best way to connect is through our website. Dane Global is doing a great job on, on, uh, on uh, keeping track and having all these detailed forms. So if you go on the website, agingconsortium.org, it connects directly to us. Wonderful. Anything to add, Redeem or Richard? I, I would say that we are also looking forward to additional ideas. I mean, yes. there's, it's a group of people that I, I should say that it started with a huge difference in opinion and there was a huge effort, I would say mostly by Madi, Jesse and Kiara. So to really put this together and force everybody to, to compromise. I was outvoted a few times 
and other people, I'm sure. <laughs> and so this is this was very good. And I think there was a genuine interest to open the <clears throat> community to 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 come to the consensus and and, and develop really by markers that everybody could could use because there's a clearly a difference currently in the field. But we're also interested for other ideas and other, and maybe we are missing something. Just please write to us and contact and contribute if you'd like. Exactly. I, I second that. I think that the, really the spirit of this initiative is to try to be the least, the least biased. We feel there is an urge and a need to develop these tools for the sake at the end of what we all care about, which is for the sake of the health of, of people. And, and we need to be a, a diverse group of people and we need to kind of get out of our narrow conceptions about, about science and be, and be very open minded and, and really together come, come to a consensus. So you, everybody's welcome and it's so reach out. Wonderful. Thank you so, so much. I really think it's been a long, long time coming. There has been really like no meeting in the past few years really where the, this wasn't an issue, right? And so I'm like really, really delighted that there's now a, a proper consortium around actually making progress on this bit. Thank you so, so much for kickstarting this. Um, and yeah, thank you everyone for joining the launch event. And thanks for your excitement around it. I really do hope you fill out the form on the Aging Consortium website and get involved. There's a lot, I think, to do. And I think the more diverse, I think the more like sustainable this project can be. So thank you, everyone. And this was a really wonderful, like, extremely well-visited talk. So thanks, everyone, for all the excitement. And I'm super excited to see you in a year from now, you know, where we'll be when we come back uh, and look at progress from you on. So thank you, everyone. This was really, really great. Did this conversation pique your interest? Maybe it even inspired a bit of existential hope about the future in you. Search for Fawcett Institute on YouTube or Twitter to stay up to date or visit Fawcett.org to learn more, subscribe to our newsletter and join our efforts. We are entirely funded by your donations. So please support us if you like what we do. Thank you so much for listening.